0: This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, The Gospel of John, that you may believe, come and see. The original date of this message was the 9th of October, 2022. Well, good morning and welcome to Rancho Baptist Church. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you are visiting, we would love to have you fill out one of those welcome information cards. Just let us know a little bit about yourself. If there's anything that we can be praying for you guys about, please include that. And if it's to be confidential just for the elders, then just give us a little asterisk. We desire to uphold you all before the Lord and continue to pray for you. Before we jump right into... The Gospel of John, I want to share something that's been on my heart for the last couple weeks and, it, and it's basically grown for a concern that, that I had when I initially heard this that brought me right to prayer to what I heard last week, it becoming deeply disturbing. And what this has to do with is our, our governor and some of the decisions that he's made recently. As I, as I heard several weeks ago that he'd signed a dozen pro-abortion laws that were favoring abortion and, and pushing California to become this sanctuary state where basically anybody that cannot get an abortion outside of our state is, is welcomed, even more than welcomed, encouraged, paid for even by our, our, our taxes to come here. And as if that... that weren't concerning enough as i gathered together with the fellow pastors this week and told them that i wanted to bring this before the body and then pray for our our governor i was informed that dr john macarthur said something last last week from the pulpit um, at grace community church and i I believe we're going to include that in in an email tomorrow if you'd like to listen um but he shed light on something new that I, I hadn't heard before and that is the fact that not only is Governor Newsom adding all these laws, but he he started um, sending out billboards to different states. And, and the billboards um, say this and this is what is deeply disturbing. It's deeply disturbing for the soul of, of Gavin Newsom and who he is placing himself in the crosshairs of for the wrath of God to be poured out upon him in the coming judgment for what he is endeavoring to do represent himself as perhaps a follower of Christ who actually quotes the Bible but totally abuses the Bible misinterprets it and applies it to something as, as heinous as killing little babies in their mommy's wombs need an abortion? this is what it says California is ready to help. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Mark 12, 31. Final words paid for by Newsom for California governor 2022. This is, of course, a a major perversion of truth. This is false teaching from a a man that was placed in in a leadership position of our state that that is now calling others to follow Jesus so to speak in and having an abortion and that if we don't do that that we're not being loving to them saying that Jesus wants women to have abortions and that is loving your neighbor by letting them make that choice is a huge atrocity that's murder and Jesus would never approve of this so what I, what I want us to do, what I'm, what, what I'm calling upon us all to do is, is, is pray for our governor that the Lord would save him before the coming judgment that he will, as it stands right now, sit under and tremendously. But I, I, I want you to pray for me specifically. Why? Because it's, it seems so easy for me to forget about these things. And this needs to be something upon the heart of your pastor. This needs to be something upon all of our hearts. And it's, and it's easy for me to be reminded of this as I get up on Sunday morning knowing I'm going to bring this to you. But it's also easy for me to remember that yesterday I, I, I spaced this. And, and, and we're talking about babies. We're talking about a man using his authority in, in, in just the most twisted way. But I also would like to call all of us to pray for our children. I'm, I'm more cognizant now than I've ever been of, of what is happening in the public school system because we have a, a set, a, what is it, a kindergartner, a third grader, and a fifth grader now in the public school system as we look after these kids that are on loan to us. And I see the stuff coming home and I'm so thankful that it's not the, the junk that is going into some schools But the reality is that that there are many right now that are wanting to destroy our children and wanting to present things to them as truth that are not truth. And it's truly, as Scripture says, they they have twisted the truth and now called what is true a lie and what is lie true. And not only encourage that and accept that, but challenge and, and push it more and more. They're promoting hurtful and anti-God thoughts and practice with their curriculum, pushing all sorts of things that, that you and I would deem pornography for kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and passing that off as curriculum. I don't even have to get into the agenda of the CRT, the woke ideology, and the breakdown of the family that's, that's also pervasive. And this is something that we need to pray for, and this is something that we can do more than just that. We can actively seek the Lord out and be involved even in in the elections that'll be happening soon for, for the school boards. So following the service, we're we're gonna have a couple passing out some four by six cards, information cards on candidates that are approved by a more conservative-based parents group. And I'm not telling you this is who you must vote for as your pastor. What, what, what I'm urging and pleading with you is first pray for our schools, pray for our kids, pray for those within our body and outside who are teachers. And, and pray that the Lord would allow you to be wise in the choosing of those candidates that we that we would vote but that we would also spend time making sure that we're informed before we go and vote so that the time that we vote isn't the first time we see some of these names and so this will help you outside and and that that is my prayer for us all that that we would be a praying church and all that that means and that you would have praying pastors and praying elders who dedicate our lives to praying for you as well as giving you the word of God. So enough said, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I'm... Yeah, this is just crazy to think of the things that are happening around us. I pray for Governor Newsom. I pray that you would break his heart that you would save him. I pray that people would recognize that that is not you speaking that is him twisting your word and using it for his own advantage and using it to aid in the the killing of innocent babies. So help that man Lord save him help our country help our state be with our children Lord that are in the school systems we thank you that you are sovereign and that you are in control of all things and you are our hope but we also recognize Lord that you don't want us to sit idly by so uh, allow us to be those who come to your presence often and humbly ask that you would move on our behalf in our schools and our children that you would give the teachers strength and confidence to stand by you and your word and as things continue to spiral out of control allow our focus our gaze to be upon you Lord Jesus and only you I thank you so much for the book of John the gospel of John and that we are about to partake in now that we are going to to drink deeply in and enjoy. So Lord, may you be honored and glorified as your word is open now. Speak through me, your servant, as only you can through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I know I have no answers, but you have all of them. So may we all see you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. And may we see life today as you would have us to see how our lives should be lived for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I believe that we all wish to some extent that we could see God move, that we could see God do kind of the miraculous in front of us. Perhaps that we could even see God and just get a little glimpse like Moses did. I want to start off our time this morning in Genesis chapter 28. And a man who was graced by God to be able to see that which really is impossible. That which is a miraculous intervention on the side of God for him giving Jacob this dream. A picture of salvation. And to a man who is known to be a deceiver, to be a trickster, to a man who, who tricked his, his own brother out of his birthright and then tricked him out of the blessing from his father. And yet we see God's grace overflow in abundance towards Jacob. As right after he does this to Esau, and his mom hears of Esau's plan to kill Jacob and tells Jacob to leave, to flee, To get out of there before his brother comes after him. Jacob's not gone very long and this is what we see in the account. As he's going from point A to point B, not even certain where he is going. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba, I'm in in verse 10, Genesis 28. And went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. Obviously not a fun way to sleep. Not a convenient way to sleep. Certainly not a comfortable way to sleep. And he had a dream and behold a ladder was set on earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. So he reestablishes the Abrahamic covenant with Jacob. When this certainly isn't what Jacob deserves, but this is God's grace to him. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Speaking of the coming Redeemer, the Messiah, the Christ. Behold, I am with you and, and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now he, he gives him this personal promise of his presence with him. No doubt because Jacob at this point was lonely. He had just left his family. And notice how the Lord meets him. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There is none other. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and sat it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. Jacob's response was to know that the Lord was with him. And wouldn't it be oh so great to have such a, an account told of our lives that we had a dream and we knew it was from the Lord. And that in that dream we saw the Lord. As it were on the top of a ladder leading from heaven to earth. Showing us the way to the Father, showing us the way to God. And yet, turn with me to John chapter 1. That is what we are going to see this morning. We are going to see that we have been given everything that we need in order to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to have life. It's as 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. That is what we're going to see this morning. The, that the Lord Jesus Christ is presented to us in all of his glory and all of his grandeur and all of his greatness and who he is. And we're going to see this, as I've entitled the sermon, Come and See. Come and see the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ and be forever changed. Make no mistake, this is not about Andrew. This is not so much about Peter. Not so much about Nathaniel. Not so much about Philip as it is about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he is doing. And in that, it is so encouraging for us to see that this then is for us this morning as well. To build our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and how wonderful He is. So we're going to start this morning in verse 35 in the Gospel of John all the way to 51. And in that, I'm going to pose five questions that are presented for us here. Challenging questions that... You and I that we all should be asking ourselves on the basis of what we see here. Do I see as Jesus wants me to see? And does Jesus see me today, right here, right now, what whatever I'm going through? Look at verse 35, and again, this is continuing on from where we we left off last week with the ministry of John the Baptist. And in this other day that was the day before this, John the Baptist was approached by these Levites and priests that were sent from Jerusalem and no doubt that the higher court of the Jews at that point asking who he was. Could he be the Christ? And he emphatically said, no, I am not, but I know who he is. And then Jesus walks by and he points everybody to him and says, no, that is the Christ. That is the Lamb of God. And this then is the next day, even though John says, hey, I didn't recognize him at first, but now I get it. Telling them, you guys still don't get it. Now we're going to see some who do get it. As Jesus says, come and see. That you would understand who I am, that you would then believe in me. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon, And said to him, we have found the Messiah. Which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsa, of the city of Andrew and Peter. And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Oh, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Come and see, come and see, come and see. What what we see in these verses emphasized, repeated over and over again is this idea of seeing on the part of Jesus and on the part of those who are going to be His followers or those who do follow Him. Notice in verse 36, Again, John's word is what? Behold the Lamb of God. I said that's a command. He is telling everyone, stop what you're doing and look. Look at him. See him. And then in God's goodness and grace, we see that two of the disciples follow Jesus. And and he sees them, verse 38, following him. And then they end up asking him a question. Where are you staying? In 39, how does he respond? Come and you will what? You will see. You don't know now. You only, now only you know right now is in part. And, and, and soon you will understand. You will see and believe. And then look at verse 46. As Philip goes to Nathaniel. And he says, Hey, we found the Christ. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael's like, Whoa, wait a minute. Nothing can come out of Nazareth that, that means anything of any kind of importance. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth, can it? And Philip's response, his response is come and see. And then as we wrap up the section, we see the Lord Jesus Christ again. He says, What? He answers Nathanael and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? And just because of that, listen, you're going to see something much greater than that. Many more greater things than that. And then as the crescendo, he sees what you will see is this, the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All of that is pointing to come and see. Come and see me. Come and understand who I am. So the first question that I want to present to us is right from verse 35. Coming right really out of the mouth of John the Baptist. This is what John the Baptist was all about. This question is this. Do you see the need to point others to Jesus? Do you see that as something that that's somebody else's job? Well, that's the evangelist's job. That's the missionary's job. That's the pastor's job. That's everybody else's job but me. Oh, yeah, well, of course, John the Baptist, that, I mean, he's known for that. But you want me to do this, Pastor Jason? Well, just hold on, and we'll see if, if John the Baptist is the only one that does this. But what we see from John the Baptist very clearly is that this is what he did. Notice this is the next day. He's not with a great big group of people. He's only with two of his disciples. If there was a time where he just could have went, eh, you know, I, I just said that yesterday. And I, I'm thinking these guys were probably with him. Possibly. But, but instead of just, just no, I got better things to do. He what? He points them to Jesus. And he again tells them just what he had just said before. Why doesn't he include the fact that he is the Lamb of God who will what? Pay for the sin of the world. Perhaps they already heard. Perhaps they'd already had a long discussion about Jesus Christ and how he is the Lamb of God and how he will be the sacrificial lamb. We're not told anything. John doesn't give us a whole bunch of detail. He just drops us into the middle of a story and then he, he puts it in fast forward mode. He doesn't tell us what any of the nonverbal communication looks like. Do you think this was easy for John to watch two of his disciples leave him? Do you think perhaps they felt bad? Or do you think it was just a slam dunk? They just went and, they, and, and nobody looked at anybody. I wonder if they actually looked at John and said, hey, can we do this? And John's like, yes, follow him. It's not about me. It's all about him. Which brings us to another question, an interesting one. Do you believe that all of John the Baptist's disciples follow Jesus? I mean, that's what he keeps doing. here, two of them do. But as we're going to get more into the gospel of John, when we get to chapter 3, that's not the case. There's many that are following John. He's still baptizing when we get to John chapter 3. After he's already let everybody know, hey, there's the Son of God. He's already been identified as the Son of God by, by the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove, landing on his shoulder and staying there. And yet John continues to baptize. Why? Because he's got an opportunity to point others to Christ who may not be able to hear Christ and see him. So he's being the avenue that the Lord wants to point more to Christ. And he continues to do that. And as he continues to do that, Jesus and his disciples start baptizing. And as that happens, there, there's these questions that, that arise with the followers of the... John the Baptist. And the question is this well he's baptizing more than you are are you okay with that what are we to think of that and he says what do you mean the builder of the house isn't greater than those that live in the house he's everything I'm nothing my whole life is lived that he must increase and I must decrease so it makes sense this is where John the Baptist goes the question is are you making the most of the opportunities the Lord gives you How many of these would-be disciples are right next to you that you are just ignoring? You're ignoring opportunities that the Lord has given you. Whether that's in your house, whether that's next door to you with your neighbors, whether that's at work, whether that's at school. Might we ask the Lord to open our eyes to see these kinds of opportunities that John just naturally just runs to and his followers then respond. So first, do you see the need to point others to Jesus? If you do, then you'll go through that door. If you continue to say, no, no, that's, that's not me, that's somebody else, then you know what? You'll just have one excuse after the next excuse after the next excuse. I get it because I'm, I, I'm doing the same thing. Opportunities with my neighbor just this last week. A beautiful opportunity. And instead, I, I, I just kind of swung at it, but I stopped right about here. Man, I wasn't trying to hit that thing all the way home and take them right to Jesus and let them see Jesus. I was like, oh, no, I'll I'll do that next week. Perhaps you're like me, and we need to be more like John the Baptist. Second, do you see the need to follow Jesus? Notice their response. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Clear and simple. Does this mean they're believers? No. They're seekers of truth. They still don't know who Jesus is. But they're following him. And the question for you and I then is, are you following him? I don't mean coming to church and sitting in a chair and worshiping and singing and doing everything that we do and opening God's word. I, I'm asking you, do you follow him day in and day out in all that you do and all that you are Because when I look at verse 43, I don't see that we have an option. As the storyline continues, they leave this place and they then travel to Galilee. And there, someone else is introduced to Jesus. The next day, he purposed to go into Galilee, verse 43, and, and he found Philip. And notice what Jesus says to Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. I would put an exclamation behind that because this is a command. This isn't, if you want to. This is the sovereign God of the universe, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Promised One, the Lord, the Creator of all things, the Word of God commanding philip to follow him so what what do you expect to happen philip follows him what do you what do you expect in your life to happen when you know the lord jesus christ says follow me become what what does that what does that entail that means you become a disciple of the lord jesus christ and you follow him are you following him are you looking at it as a command or even right now are some of you pushing back on i don't know that i like that jason Come on, pastor, is that really what that means? Doesn't Philip have a choice? Or is Jesus really sovereign? I'll let you answer those questions. This is challenging, is it not? Because we don't see Philip back down. Actually, we see Philip go the other way. So do you follow him? Do you see the need to follow Jesus? Or do you see it as something that's just kind of optional? And be totally pure? I'll just be kind of pure. Reach out to my neighbors? I'll just be kind. I won't tell them about Jesus. How about this one? Verses 38 to 39. This is so sweet. Do you see Jesus more clearly as you spend time with him? You might be thinking, man, how do you get that out of these two weird questions? 38 and 39. Look at what happens next as the Lord Jesus sees these followers of John the Baptist now following him. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? Notice the question is it who do you seek? He knew that. We all know that. They were following John. Now they're following Jesus. So he doesn't ask them, who do you seek? No, what is he doing? He's probing into their heart. He's trying to get into the intention behind why they are doing what they are doing. What is their heartstrings wrapped around, as they would say in the, the village in Papua New Guinea where we live for so long? What are they really living for? What do you guys really want? That's what he's saying. And he's trying to drill down to get them to recognize, hey, don't just follow me. Recognize that what I have to give you is something that is far greater than anything you could possibly imagine. It is eternal life. It is life with me. And that life begins the moment you believe. So do you see Jesus more clearly as you spend time with him? So how, how do you get that in this? As Jesus says, what do you seek? They then said to him, (laughs) Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? That doesn't make much sense to us. He asked them, what do you seek? What's the most significant, most important thing to you? What are your heartstrings wrapped around? And they respond, well, where where, where are you staying tonight? Their response is relational. Relational. Their response begs the question, we want to spend time with you. And right here, right now, as we're walking side by side on this road, we can't dig into you and ask you the questions that our hearts are burning to ask you. Because right now this isn't conducive. And looking on top of it, it is now known to be the 10th hour. And he said, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. That's like 4 p.m. So this is a time when everybody else is searching for a place to stay. And what are they doing? They're searching for a place to spend with Jesus and talk to him. They want to know the answer to all of their questions. And they want to spend time with Jesus in a place where now it's getting dark. So they need to go someplace where there could be light, where they won't be distracted by all these other people that are walking by them and they want to spend time with Jesus and notice his response and come and see. Come and see my home, but what's understood is come and be my follower. Come and partake a meal with me. Come and join life with me. Come and ask all your questions and I will give you all truth. And notice in this that that they could have done this entirely different. That instead of being the seekers of truth like they were, they could have been more into the surfacy conversations that you have with someone that you you meet on the road as you're walking along together, right? You're not really digging into anything deep and you recognize you're just going to go your separate ways soon. They could have done that here. But instead, no, what do they want to do? They want to dig into the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to spend time with him. They don't want Jesus to be a mere acquaintance of theirs. Application for us is, is Jesus just a mere acquaintance for you along the road? Or is he someone that you are seeking to spend time with? to such an extent that that are you finding time each day to spend with Jesus and not just five minutes on the way home from work but you are actually dedicating a time just as these guys were saying man I need to spend time with you right here right now where I am not distracted and I can just open up your word and you and I can spend time with one another you teaching me and then me talking with you in prayer after this as we walk together along this road of life I need you Is that a picture of you? That's where these guys were at. That's what they had learned from John the Baptist. As great as John was, Jesus is much greater. And so we see the the love of Jesus Christ, the intimacy of Jesus Christ, that he welcomes them, that he wants them to step into this relationship with him talking to him in prayer spending time with him having him answer all of their questions again do you see as jesus wants you to see do you see the need to point others to jesus do you see the need to follow jesus do you see jesus more clearly as you spend time with him we're not certain exactly how long they spend with him but it's enough to change their lives forever and some believe that that They actually didn't even leave him throughout the night, that they spent the whole night. And we know for certain that one of them, their life has changed. And his name is Andrew. And it's from him that we get this next question. Do you see the lost as those you must find and share Jesus with? That that becomes your highest priority, sharing Jesus with others. Not just pointing people to Jesus, but sharing him and his message and what you now know to be true about him with others. That that's all you want to do. Notice, this is what we see first in the response of Andrew. They spend this time with him beginning of this, you know, this 10th hour. And then one of the two, verse 40, who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Just stop there. He brought him to Jesus. I don't, I don't think of Andrew as a very aggressive, that's, that's more his brother, Peter, as someone who wouldn't take no for an answer, but it certainly seems like that is the way Andrew's functioning here. Why? Because he has gained insight and knowledge into something that has changed his life forever. He now knows who the Messiah is. And more than anything else, he wants to share that with who? His brother. So he finds his brother and tells him "We found the Christ. And he brings him, brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Think about how different the life of Peter would have been if, Simon, if Andrew had decided, you know, I'm not going to share, share him with Peter Peter's kind of annoying to me at times no but instead what does he do he puts his brother first and he brings him to Jesus and then I think at times especially as I looked at all these commentators everybody gets off on, on what the whole purpose of this is changing Simon's name to Cephas or Peter Making a big deal about changing the name and how significant that is. You you know what the big deal is here? Is that Jesus is so in control of everything that he can tell Peter he's going to be a rock long before Peter is a rock. That should give you great confidence. That, That should give you so much hope. Why? Because Jesus Christ knows and has already figured out and deemed in his own will by his grace exactly what he's going to do in and through you. And it's more than you can possibly imagine. I never would have dreamed that that I would go to Papua New Guinea and be a missionary. Along with that, would I see myself being here, standing up and being a pastor in Temecula? No. But Jesus did, and it's all part of his plan. And in the same way, what, what's, what's front and center isn't so much Peter as it is the Lord Jesus Christ calling to Peter and saying, hey, this is who I am going to make you to be because I'm the sovereign one. And trust me, all by his grace. Isn't that oh so reassuring and oh so encouraging? And let's think about Andrew for a minute. We tend to not think about Andrew. Why? Because Peter, James, and John, they're the big three. They get to see Jesus transfigured. They're the ones that are called out. Andrew is is someone that that we barely even think about. But notice how quickly he responds. He's there with Jesus that night. He hears everything from Jesus. He obviously gets saved, and then he becomes a missionary, and he's on a mission. And his first mission is to go to who? His brother Peter. And he points Peter to Jesus and shares Jesus with Peter. And he recognizes, you you know what? All I have to do is get him to Jesus. Because after one night, my entire life was changed. And so I know and I have confidence not in me trying to explain this or explain that to Peter. But that Jesus, he will explain everything to him. And that should give us confidence when we are sharing Christ with others. That all we need to do is point them to Jesus. And if you don't have all the answers, you just point them to Jesus and say, he said he's the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to the Father but through him. What do you do with that? That's exclusive in his claim. And either you believe it or you don't. And then they try to come around from a different angle and sidetrack you with this or that. You take them back to the gospel. But he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And you go right back to there. And you just keep giving him the word and what Jesus said over and over and over again. That's what Andrew was trusting in. It was being with Jesus that convinced me. And so I know that, that, that when my brother hangs out with him and being with Jesus, is going to convince him too. So he doesn't try to convince Peter of who Jesus is. Instead, he lets the Lord do it. That's a good lesson for us to learn. Fourth, and this is probably the most difficult lesson for, for me to really grasp and wrap my head around. He doesn't mind sharing the spotlight. In fact, he, he, if he doesn't have the spotlight, he's good with it. Right from the beginning, he's known as what? The brother of Peter. Peter. That's how he's identified. That's how he's described. His entire life, no doubt, was lived second fiddle to his brother. And now as they become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the same thing. But you know what is so challenging? Is Andrew doesn't care. He's he's not looking for accolades. He's not looking for a place of honor. He's not seeking that, that others would be noticing everywhere. Do you, do you know what place of honor, what place he wants? Next to Jesus, like Mary. That's what he wants. He wants to seek Jesus alone, nothing else. And that's how it should be for each of us, that we are seeking Jesus. But it's not just John the Baptist. It's not just Andrew. Andrew that we see sharing Christ and telling others about him. But we also see that Philip does the same thing. Look at what it says in verse 43. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip and Jesus said to him, follow me. Who do you think that he there is referring to? If your Bible's like mine, it, it gives you a little giveaway because my he is capitalized. And so generally, when you look at that, you think, what? Oh, it must be speaking of Jesus. But in the Greek, it doesn't tell us. It's just pointing to the antecedent. It's letting us know that, that whoever the subject was of what was just said, that they're still in the subject. So it could have equally been that it's not talking about that Jesus purposed in his heart, that Jesus is the one seeking out Philip, But it could be instead, little Andrew. The one who we don't think of as the one whose life just changes so dramatically that Peter's life has changed forever because of. And now possibly, it is the same with Nathaniel. Notice what we're told. We're told that they're from the same place. We also know from the other accounts that that Philip was, was a fisherman. It would seem that they knew each other. And the fact that Jesus is renamed again adds more to the, to the argument that, that the he there is not speaking of Jesus, but it's actually speaking of Andrew and that Andrew isn't done. And then look at verse 41. This adds more to it. How does your Bible read? My Bible reads, he found first his own brother Simon. That leads us to believe that there was others. That I believe that when, Simon, or that when Andrew got up that day, he was on a mission, but it was a two-track mission. He was going to, was going to Peter first, and then he was going to Philip. And he was going to share Jesus Christ with both of them. And he was going to point them both to Jesus Christ. And as is so m- much the case with new believers, what do they want to do? They want to share Christ with everyone. And so not only do we see that in the life of Andrew, but now once Philip believes and Jesus Christ tells him to follow him, we see the same thing in the life of Philip. We see that he likewise searches after some and wants to share them with Christ. And that is Nathaniel. So look at what it says. The next day he purposed, and again, I'm saying I I believe that that's Andrew, purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. And that's all that Philip needs, and Philip's life is forever changed. Now, Philip was from Bezda, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel responds, hey, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And notice Philip's response, much like Andrew's response. Hey, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not even going to get into Nazareth. All I'm going to tell you is come and see because I know that Jesus will convince you and I never could. I know that spending, that you spending time with Jesus will change everything. Why? Because it changed everything for me. And it changed everything for Andrew, and it changed everything for Philip. and so it'll change everything for you as well, Nathaniel. And that is what we see. And we shouldn't get too upset with Nathaniel. Why? Because this little town of Nazareth was not known to be the most influential, famous town. It was very small, it was unknown, it was insignificant. And yet, look at the way that the Lord responds. As finally, in verses 47 to 51, we see this question: Do you see Jesus is capable of doing greater things than you can imagine? Remember, what's Nathaniel thinking? He's thinking nothing good could come out of Nazareth. This guy's going to be wash. And what we're going to find is Nathaniel was actually very versed in the scriptures. We know by the way that Philip approaches him and says, hey, we we found the one that was written about in Moses and the law and the prophets, the promised one. So this is a man who understood the scriptures, that is looking at the scriptures, that is speaking from life through the perspective of the scriptures. And look at what happens with Jesus. Now Jesus again saw Nathaniel coming to him. Jesus is concerned about you. Do you recognize that? that he sees you today in whatever you are going through and that he loves you and that he wants, you draw, wants to draw you near to him and comfort you. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. That word is no guile. No falsehood. No trickery. And in this, he's, he's paying huge compliments to Nathanael but he's also letting him know hey I know you I know you intimately and Nathanael's mind would immediately go to Israel not Israel the nation but Israel the man because before his name was Israel his name was Jacob and he is the one who we read about in Genesis 28 and so there's this play on words hey, unlike Jacob, this is a true Israelite. In fact, some have translated this as, this is a true Israelite in whom there is no Jacob, no deceit, no lying, no trickery. What you see is what you get. And so even though he may have seemed like he wasn't going to listen, no, he is very teachable. And we see this in Nathaniel. Listen to his response. He doesn't push back on Jesus. Oh no, I'm, I'm not really like that. You missed it. No, he recognizes that Jesus nails him and that Jesus knows him better than anyone. And he doesn't understand it. So what does he say? Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And this word know is not not just your normal know. It's to look inside someone's heart and to know them. Because he recognizes that when Jesus sees him, he sees deeply into him. And then Jesus answers in in just a very weird way. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. That's all he says. And on the basis of that, Nathaniel now (laughs) answers him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You are the promised one. I know now who you are. You are Zephaniah 3.15. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. You are him. Wait. Just from Jesus saying that, that before Philip called you that, you, that you were sitting under this fig tree, how do you get from point A to point B? And lots of commentators and all sorts of much more brilliant men than me spend all sorts of time talking about the symbolism with the fig tree and, and exactly how he might have been sitting and where he was sitting and how he was a learned man and this and that. I don't believe that's the point at all. The point isn't about the fig tree. The point is about Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ blows his mind with what? That idea that he knows everything. That he is the omniscient one. Not only does he know him personally, but he knows everything that there is to know. And in some way, as Nathaniel was sitting under that tree, whatever was happening was something that he never shared with anybody else. And by Jesus saying this to him, Nathaniel knew, oh man, this man must be God because nobody else would know this. And then Jesus continues to, to blow his mind. Saying, hey, you you believe just because I said that I saw you under the fig tree. You are going to see so much greater things than this. And then he ties it all the way back to Jacob again. And what we started our time off with. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is different than the Genesis account. Why? Why? Because there's no ladder here. Do you know why there's no ladder? Because the ladder is not needed. The ladder is the son of God. Here pictured as the son of man. Notice the titles that are used by Nathanael for the Lord Jesus Christ. First rabbi teacher one. It's a a title of honor. You are my teacher. Then he says son of God saying in essence that you are equal with God, that you always have been, you always forever will be, and you are right now. And you are the king of Israel. You are the promised one. And then finally, you are the son of man. You are also not just 100% God, but you are 100% man, and I know that. That is what Jesus is proclaiming, that I am him, that I am the son of man. And as we go back to Genesis 28, 16, and if you haven't underlined this, I I would underline this in your Bible. Do you remember what Jacob says after he wakes up from his dream? He says, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. I wonder how many of us are like Jacob, that surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it, did not recognize it. I came into this just thinking, hey, this is a normal day at work. And yet I didn't recognize that the Lord is in this. And the Lord is going to go before me today and work with whatever happens. And this coming up week, I did not recognize that the Lord was with me. And that as I'm in my car traveling from point A to point B in traffic, and I'm struggling with my attitude, and I'm wishing that the people in front of me would finally start moving to recognize that the Lord is in this. That the Lord is with us everywhere that we go. The question is, do we see him? Do we recognize him and what he is doing? Let me close with this, some points to ponder, just one. Consider how Jesus asks, what do you seek? In verse 38, he's drilling down into the heart motives of John's disciples to have them truly assess what it is that they want out of life. How would you answer that question? What is of utmost significance and importance to you? Riches, peace, success, good health. And more importantly, with that, if you can answer that question truthfully, how does the way you live your life reveal what you want most out of life? Are you like these followers of John the Baptist, who once they see Jesus, there's no turning back? It's only going forward, walking hand in hand with Jesus, wanting to spend more and more time with him each day. Let me close this out as Pastor Shane and the worship team come up. Heavenly Father, you are so, so good. Thank you for giving us this account, for allowing us to see that we need to see you more clearly, Lord Jesus. And we need to see life as you want us to see life. Help us to see the need to point more people to you, Lord Jesus. Help us to see the need to follow you more closely, Jesus. Help us to see you more clearly as we spend time with you. And Help us us to reach out to those that are around us and to share you with them, Lord. And finally, help us to see you, Lord Jesus, as being capable of doing far more greater than we could possibly imagine in our lives, and the lives around us, and even in our present state and the circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in. For it's in the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we pray, amen.